Thank you. So God's speaking this morning. Did you hear that? I don't think the microphone was on. Let me go back. Sorry. (laughs) I feel like God said to me this morning that he wanted to heal bones. So I said, what does that mean? And he said it again. So I said, what does that mean? And he said it again. So I'm sharing it. Thank you. If, um, if that means anything to anybody, then please um, come and speak to Kim. I'm sure she would love to pray with you or come and speak to, um, come forward at the end for some prayer. Um, we would love to pray with you about that. Um, so, wow, amazing picture this morning that we've had. Um, such an encouragement, isn't it, as we, you know, give our little bit um, to building his church. And we're just so thankful um, that God is doing you know, being faithful in that. And he's um, bringing so much fruit out of what we do here. So I'm going to be sharing the next message on Ephesians. Let me just make some space here. So as you know, we've been looking through Ephesians the last couple of weeks. Um, Elijah's um, spoken on Ephesians 1 and Ephesians 2. Um, We know that Ephesians was written by St. Paul around 25 to 30 years after Jesus went back to heaven. Um, And as I've been studying Ephesians, um, I think one of the biggest things about the book of Ephesians, compared to the other letters that Paul wrote, was that it wasn't written as a kind of result of some bad behavior in the church or some people kind of going off and doing some crazy things. Um, It was really written so that each of us can understand better God's purpose for us as individuals, but even more so, to understand his purpose and intention for the church. That seems to be the biggest thing. You know, it's not a telling off. It's not a, um, here's how you should be doing it. Well, is it? here's how you should be doing it. But it's not to a specific error that people are doing. It's, it's just an overarching understanding of what the purpose of the church is. Um, so I think that's probably one of the reasons why we felt it was so important to study Ephesians. Um, and I know that the Connect groups are going deeper into it as well, which is really encouraging. So hopefully you're all getting a lot out of it. Um, so as I said, Elijah spoke the last two weeks on Ephesians 1 and 2. So we've heard about God's amazing grace for us, the free gift that was given to each of us. And we've heard about God reconciling us to him and us to each other. In other words, just making us right with him and making us right with each other. So what can we learn about God's intention and purposes for the church from Ephesians 3? Let's read it together. So Ephesians 3, starting at verse 1, I think it should be up there. For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made made known to men in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. So, let's break it down a little bit. So we know that Paul is in prison, that he's in prison because of his efforts to reach the Gentiles, um, which is just the non-Jews, us, pretty much. <laughs> um, 
And this, when this revelation came to him, that Jesus wasn't just about, you know, reaching the holy few, you know, the Jews, that it was about reaching everyone, he began to preach this. And, you know, there was uproar. People thought this was heresy, you know, they thought, what's he speaking about? Um, hence why he ended up in prison, or rather on house, house arrest. He was allowed to move around his house, but there were soldiers guarding him so he couldn't escape. But even in such horrible situations for him, he didn't give up. This isn't something that Paul was just making up for the sake of causing problems. You know, he has such conviction that this is such an important thing that God wanted to share with his church, with his people, that he's willing to suffer and risk further persecution by continuing to write, you know, continuing to share this message even when he's in prison. And Paul's writing to confirm his revelation that he has already mentioned to them. This is something that is kind of been lingering around for a while, but this is just what he, he really wants people to grab hold of this. So this is such an important thing. And this that he's talking about is the mystery of Christ. So what is this mystery? One of the boys' uh, favourite films is Scooby-Doo 2. I don't know if anyone's seen it. It's a bit ridiculous, to be honest. Um, it's all about the good guys trying to figure out who the bad guy is to figure out the mystery surrounding all the bad things that keep happening. You know, Scooby-Doo and Shaggy are, you know, are a bit ridiculous, aren't they? But, um, but they pull through in the end and the bad guy's revealed. But the mystery surrounding the, the hunt for the bad guy is all spooky and creepy, so many different distractions and diversions. And, you know, when we think of a mystery in, in English, we think of something dark and obscure, something secret and puzzling, something that is mysterious, often inexplainable, maybe even incomprehensible. However, the Greek word mysterion is different. Although still a secret, it's no longer hidden, or rather it is a truth hidden from human knowledge or understanding, but is now disclosed by the revelation of God. So you can see the slight difference on the word mystery, which is the, the mystery that Paul's talking about here. You know, it's something that, that was hidden, but... God's intention was for it to be revealed, not for it to be something that's, you know, is something that we can't ever get the truth from. So as I said, this is something that God didn't intend to stay a secret. In fact, there's been pointers to it throughout the Bible, as we'll come on to in a moment. God has been revealing his plan bit by bit to the apostles and the prophets for the sake of the church, for us to put into effect and to fulfill his final goal of bringing all things in heaven and earth together under Christ. And the biggest mystery at this time was that God's grace, that God himself was available to all people, not just the Jews, God's holy people. And as I said, this wasn't a completely new concept. It was something that was hinted to in the Old Testament. In Isaiah 49, verse 6, we can read, I don't know if it's up there, um, I will also make you a light to the Gentiles, that you may bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. So that was obviously... You know, before Christ, before any of this was happening, it was prophesied that this, you know, that God was for all people, that his salvation was for all people to the ends of the earth. And it was also revealed to Peter in a vision. In Acts 11, we read about a vision that Peter saw of a load of animals coming down from heaven on a big sheet. And a voice said to Peter, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Now, that might not seem very weird to us, but... Um, you know, one of the biggest differences between Jews and Gentiles at that time was that a Jew wouldn't eat any unclean animal. So to, to Peter, this was, you know, this is heresy. He tried to argue with God, but God said to him, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. 
do not call anything impure that God has made clean. And when Peter was criticized by the other apostles and Jewish brothers for going to the home of unholy and uncircumcised men, his response was this. And we can read it in Acts 11, verse 15 to 17. As I began to speak to these people, to the unholy people, the the non-Jews, as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them as he had come on us at the beginning. So if God gave them the same gift as he gave us, who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think I could oppose God? And I love their response. It says that they praise God, saying, so God has granted even the Gentiles repentance into life. I love how they are so passionate this amazing gift that was given to them is actually available for everyone. And that's something to be um, so passionate and to praise God about. They understand that this is good news and they praise God. And I know this seems second nature to us, you know, that we are as much entitled to, to God's grace as a Jew. You know, it might not seem relevant to us at all. But let's think about the people that we see as never being able to come to God. The people that seem too far away. That, you know, the situations that seem impossible. Let's flip it and see, you know, God is saying he is for everyone. You know, he's there for everybody. And even ourselves, we put judgment on ourselves that surely we aren't good enough. Surely we can't come to God in all of our weakness. But this mystery that has been revealed all those years ago is that God is for all people, not just a select few. And have you ever felt that, that you're not good enough to come to God? That maybe you haven't read your Bible or spoken to God? That you've made too many mistakes or hurt too many people? But that's not how God sees you. God's saying, do not call anything impure that I have made clean. We know we're impure. We know the world is impure. But through God's amazing free gift, through the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, we have been made clean. Jesus died for all. And to make us all pure before him. And that's God's ultimate goal. Is that everything in heaven and earth will come under Christ. As I mentioned earlier. So we know that's the mystery revealed. We know that is um, the mystery is that we are all. That God's intention is for all of us to come unto him. But what's the purpose of the mystery? What does it mean for us? We're living in the truth of this. You know, none of us here I don't think are Jews. From, you know... Back in the day, <laughs> um, you know, we're all Gentiles. We're living in the truth or the glory of this mystery, as Paul puts it. Um, so we're all Gentiles living in the free gift of God. We all know that we are saved and have access to the free gift of God's grace. And even though that itself is unbelievable, I think this mystery holds within it a greater purpose. That God has a greater intention for us to grasp hold of this morning. In revealing this mystery, God has done something seemingly impossible. He brought Jew and Gentile together in one body, the church. This was huge. This is such a big deal at the time. Paul is saying that what God has done by reconciling and organically uniting Jews and Gentiles in the church makes the church the perfect means for displaying God's wisdom. Makes the church the perfect means for displaying God's wisdom. It was such an alien concept. It goes against the culture at the time. But God was breaking through that. Let's read what Paul goes on to say in verse 10. His intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God 
should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. So our calling as a church is to display God's wisdom. That's quite a big calling, isn't it? <laughs> in verse, um, chapter 4 is coming next week, and that talks about Paul urging us to live a life worthy of this calling. But that is a big old calling. So what is God's wisdom? How can we grapple with that? I think what Paul's referring to here, the wisdom of God is that we are one under Christ. That we are united, we are reconciled with him, that we practice unity and forgiveness. It's what we've been talking about the last few weeks, you know, being in communion with God and being in communion with each other. Staying connected to the source, our strength and our hope. And through his strength, we can love one another. You know, it's the greatest commandment, love God and love others. You know, it doesn't mean to be a doormat or to always let things pass by. You know, there is a place for discipline and for correction. But speak the truth in love and forgive each other. This is what God is calling us to do. And this is a sign to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. I had to read that a few times. I was like, rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. What does that mean? And as I kind of studied this a bit more, it's quite unbelievable, really. I mean, some of you have probably grasped this, but it seemed like a new fresh revelation for me. Um, so Paul's talking here about the powers and principalities, the spiritual powers that we can't see, the angels, the fallen angels. They are watching us, and God's intention is that we show them how it's done. That when the church is spiritually united, it portrays to them the wisdom of God. So we're not just existing on an earthly plane, you know, our Christian existence, our reconciliation to God and to each other, so our being made right with God and with each other, receives its meaning and significance from heaven. So I was like, what? The angels are watching us. What? And um, I read a beautiful excerpt from one of the commentaries I was studying. I think it was written by uh, an English theologian called Mule, M-O-U-L-E, and it said this. What then have they to learn from us? Ah, they have to learn something which makes them watch us with wonder and awe. They see in us, indeed, all our weaknesses and all our sin. But they see a nature which, wrecked by itself, was yet made in the image of their God and ours. And they see this God at work upon that wreck to produce results not only wonderful in themselves, but doubly wonderful because of their conditions. That definitely made me stop. (laughs) I'm going to read it again. What then have they to learn from us? They have to learn something which makes them watch us with wonder and awe. They see in us, indeed, all our weaknesses and all our sin, but they see a nature which, wrecked by itself, was yet made in the image of their God and ours. And they see this God at work upon that wreck to produce results not only wonderful in themselves, but doubly wonderful because of their conditions. So angelic beings are interested and instructed by the lives of Christians. They see our heavenly standing, that they are one with God and they are looking on. This is why the conduct conduct of the church is so important. And this interest in Christians from the angels is mentioned a few times throughout the Bible. But um, 
I thought 1 Peter 12 describes it quite well. When talking about our salvation and what was revealed to those at Pentecost by the Holy Spirit, he goes on to say that even angels long to look into these things. Even angels long to look into these things. They're so interested in what's going on, what God's doing on, on earth. Imagine holding someone on a pedestal because of their connection with someone in a way that you know you can never have that connection. Um, so a friend of ours knows um, James Corden, the comedian. I'm a bit of a fan. don't know if you know Gavin and Stacey or have seen any of his stuff. Um, but we're a bit of a fan. So they were good friends back in the day and they're still in touch now. When I found out about this, I was like, what? It's amazing. Um, and I'm so interested in, that, in um, this relationship. I love hearing stories about their friendship. I love hearing stories about what's going on in his life and where the struggles have been that only a friend would know. And I kind of imagine, I was trying to think of a, you know, a link here. I kind of imagine that in some crazy way, this is how the angels feel about our relationship with God and with each other. They have such an interest and desire to know what it's like to have that unity. You know, we know the angels are in God with heaven, worshipping him. But they're different beings. They aren't made in God's image, like us. They aren't God's chosen ones as we are. They aren't one with God the way that we are. And do we truly appreciate that? Do we understand the depth of that? And do we truly understand the calling for us as a church? That we are to be an example to the heavenly beings and to display God's wisdom. And although a beautiful image... I think that our calling is much more than just the angels looking on. Paul is trying to get us to understand that we need to be an example. That the church is the key as to how to live. And unfortunately, we, unfortunately, we live in a world where the church is rejected by society. It's seen as outdated and irrelevant. But Paul is saying here that the church is the answer. In the church, we are reconciled. A beautiful mystery revealed. Through God's grace, we are one together even when each of us are so different like the jews and gentiles we are one body we don't always get it right but we're learning how to forgive and how to love each other and we see so much destruction in the world we see governments that need redemption and social structures that seem to cause so much pain and confusion and we know that paul wrote that the powers and principalities are in the heavenly places not the earthly ones but we also know as we read in Ephesians 6, verse 12, that our struggle isn't against, against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil, even um, evil in the heavenly realms. So all of the evil, all the destruction, all the pain, all the division, all the confusion, all the unforgiveness, all the bitterness that we see in the world is due to those spiritual powers that are at play. And Paul is saying here that the church is a witness to those powers. Society needs us to show them how it's done, to show them how to do it right, to be the ones that stand up and make a difference, to be the ones that love each other when it makes no sense to do so. It's our calling as God's church to show God's wisdom and his intention of how we should be living to this world. It's a pretty big calling. (laughs) But the church is doing it. We see it in things like CAF, Christians Against Poverty. You know, that's completely transformed the way that people are dealing with debts. Um, and now the government's looking to, to them to show them how it's done. Because they haven't found the answers in themselves. You know, they're looking to, to the Christians to show them how it's done. We see it in Christians who stand up to make a difference in politics. Um, some of you probably know Jesse 
Um, Jesse Jo Jacobs, who's um, standing as the Labour MP, um, Labour candidate for the coming elections, for the uh, 2020 election. You know, she's standing up. She wants to make a difference. She believes that's what God's called her to. And um, there's something new that's going to be launching soon. Um, it's called North Point. And Elijah, um, our Elijah, was given a vision about 18 months ago, um, a vision to reform the care system. And most of you know that Elijah grew up in care. Um, and although he was eventually brought up by a loving mum, it wasn't that love alone that saved him from becoming another statistic. It was meeting Jesus and receiving his love and his acceptance that really changed him. And we know that the current system is broken, um, but we believe there's a way to change the current system where kids are leaving care, being unloved, unworthy, broken, that can't hold down healthy relationships or jobs. So in six months' time, um, about six months' time, <laughs> uh, we're going to be launching a fostering adoption agency. Um, and through that, we're going to be um, in- introducing a system where through the church, kids have access, kids in care have access to courses where they learn about their purpose, that they were created for a reason, that they aren't a mistake, that they are loved by their creator. They're going to be given Christian mentors and counseling. They'll be able to attend retreat centers eventually. This is a big, big vision, <laughs> um, a long-term vision. Um, but the, the hope is that there'll be um, retreat centers where they're introduced to Jesus. Pretty much, we want to create spaces where these kids meet Jesus, because that's the only thing that's going to change. Um, and eventually, um, we'll be introducing think tanks where we'll be lobbying government for real change in this area. And we know that only Christ can bring that reconciliation And we've heard today that he did the seemingly impossible of bringing Jew and Gentile together. So what do we see around us that needs Jesus? What seems impossible? But through the revelation of this mystery, we know that nothing is impossible. That Christ can do all things and that the church is the answer. And this reminds us that we are called for something far greater than our own individual salvation and sanctification. Although that's nice, isn't it? We are called to be the means by which God teaches the universe a lesson, a beautiful lesson. And all of the above is to be done in verse 11, 11, according to his eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. It is already accomplished. It's already done. Although it seems to be a constant fight, You know, everything's a constant battle, isn't it, here on earth? You know, the victory is already ours through Jesus. The battle is already won. So that in verse 12 we read, In him and through faith in him we may approach God with freedom and confidence. We can approach God without fear of rejection or shame. We have free speech before God, so to speak. He hasn't left us here fighting alone. And as we continue to read through Ephesians 3, Paul goes on to ask the reader not to be discouraged by his imprisonment. Though he was imprisoned for the sake of them, because he is doing it all for their glory, and in a greater way than he can ever imagine, I think. We stood here today because of this mystery revealed, because of the sacrifice of Paul. And, you know, during his imprisonment, he wrote many more letters, which for sure have a a place in God's eternal plan. 
So let us be encouraged and have confidence in the little we are doing as individuals, as his church, that it all has a place in God's eternal plan. But let's be mindful of this, that through Jesus, we are the answer to the impossible broken situations in this world. And so Paul goes on to pray, and I'm going to say this prayer over us as a church this morning. Verse 14. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. And I wanted us to continue in that place of prayer, really. Um, You know, there's so many things that we can be praying for as a church. I'd like um, to open up the prayer for anyone that feels they want to respond in any way to what's been said this morning, or to any of the um, pictures or words that were given before um, before I started speaking. You know, it's quite a big... It's quite a big thing (laughs) that Paul's revealing here. You know, it's quite a big calling. Um, It's not an easy thing to swallow. It doesn't call for an easy life, although Paul, um, although, you know, Jesus doesn't want us to carry heavy burdens. You know, we have a responsibility um, to respond to his calling. So if anyone wants to respond in any way, please come forward for some prayer. Um, The band can start playing behind us. And I just wanted us to pray for, for the church that are in action. You know, for Jesse, um, who is standing for Labour candidate, um, who is the Labour candidate for Teesside. Um, let's pray for her. How amazing would it be if we had a Christian um, who was standing for Teesside? Let's continue to pray for the things like CAP that are making a difference. Let's continue to pray for, for the church across Teesside that is seeking to bring restoration to lives, that is seeking to show God's love to the people that need it. And let's pray for Elijah, for North Point, you know, as that continues to, to grow. Let's pray for favour. Let's pray for, for God to move. So should we just bow our heads and pray? <clears throat>